All right, we're on. Yo, welcome back on Electable Airwaves. Um, episode, I think this is episode 30. Yep. Big 3-0. Big 3-0. And uh, our guest for this week is Mr. John Burnett. And uh, he's uh, got some stories to tell. And uh, he's going to bring light from a personal standpoint about a, a very important issue, something that's a little bit um, more prevalent uh, now with the California wildfires and particularly the type of labor that they go ahead and try to use to contain that kind of um, disaster that they got out west. Yeah. Like, it's so shameful, too, that they are somehow managing to avoid having to reckon with that, too. Like, oh, shit, we can't fight fires because we're out of prison slave labor. Um, you know, that, that seems like that would be something that they would be dragged for in the media, right? And it's just like not even a topic, right? It's all, you know, just responding to, uh, you know, Trump's nonsense, not yep. even any kind of effort to be like, oh, well, why are we in this situation where we don't have enough firefighters? Why are we in this situation where, you know, a, a slight decline in the, like, the prison population leads to, you know, massive vulnerabilities to fighting wildfires? Yeah, but failed state shit. We appreciate having you on, John. So, um, why don't you we start off with a little bit of your background and um, going a little bit about uh, the stuff you talked about in your thread. Uh, thanks, man. Um, I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, thanks for coming. Quick question: So, the name of your podcast is um, "Unelectable," a reference to being disenfranchised. As no. felon? I mean, not because no. I just think that's an I mean, interesting parallel for the conversation that we're having tonight. Um, I mean, that'd be a lot clearer if we did that, right? <laughs> like we said, it was supposed to be. It was a reference to like you know all whenever there's a like a, a left leaning candidate, the sort of like more centrist establishment types are just constantly going on about how unelectable they are. Ah, okay, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I didn't want to get off the subject. It it, it just it just hit me. But right. uh, yeah, man. So uh, at the uh, ripe old age of fourteen, here in Louisiana, small town called Slidell, just outside of New Orleans, I, I was you know I was arrested, and and a couple of years later, I was sentenced until my thirty first birthday in prison. And you were how old? You were fourteen. Yeah, I was a, I was a fourteen year old kid. Oh, um, holy shit! That always and, drove uh, me nuts, right? It's like if you want to charge people as an adult when they're fourteen, then make the legal age fourteen. Like you can't have it both ways, right? Well, it, here's here's the thing. Um, no fourteen year old is sophisticated enough to not. I, I don't want to say commit a crime. But no 14-year-old is sophisticated enough to understand the implications mm-hmm. of Definitely. crime. Yeah. Um, th- that's just uh, just like last night. I, I, uh, I posed a question on my Twitter in the form of a poll, um, basically asking people, do you think a, a 15-year-old is mentally competent enough to be able to accept, well, not not accept, but to uh, to be able to um, negotiate and take a guilty plea. 
Yeah, and huh. that's that's such a big component of the criminal justice system as it is, especially when you talk about mandatory minimums. Oh and man, that's... yeah, you know they'll they'll hold decades over your head in order to get you to to nah. just yeah. confess to whatever, just it's so, so they can have you in. Overcharge you with all of this shit, like, and it's just like everyone does this, right? That's just like standard practice for the cops now. It's just hit you with like seven different charges to get you to kind of like, you know, like cop to one or two of them and get your plea deal and, you know, don't go to court, let the lawyer off. You know, it's just a massive, massively easier job for them. So they just try to do that and scare the crap out of you. So you'll just admit to whatever. Well, yeah, listen, that's, that's the way they work. And it's, it's honestly in their interest to work like that. We have so much tough on crime rhetoric flying right. around all over the place that essentially cops on a certain level feel pressured to be able to make a collar, right? Mm-hmm. So if the cops are called uh, in response to a burglary at a home, they get there and they catch the guy red-handed, but he runs and Say they, they, they catch him 15, 20, 30 minutes later, whatever. Um, then come to find out and in investigating it, uh, there's video footage of this guy breaking into this home. His face is clear on the camera. All of those things. Open and shut case. The one thing that isn't going to simply disappear, he, he may be able to negotiate himself a plea deal to uh, a, a lesser and included offense, right? So yeah. let's say uh, not burglary, but maybe criminal trespassing. Let's mm-hmm. say they drop the charge down to criminal trespassing. You know what's still what still has to be considered? What's that? There is a 99.9% chance that they also charged him with resisting arrest. Oh. Simply because he ran. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's... And then if he looks at the cop, you know, if he even like bats an eye at the cop, it's like, you know, assaulting an officer and all too. Yeah, we we know how that works. We know how that works. Um, Unfortunately, all too often, that is, we know what the direct result of that is. But man, criminal justice in this country is absolutely non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at the history of the way all of this came into formation what it what it seemed like it was a concerted effort rhetorically to uh, use law and order and criminal justice as racial dog whistles to associate particularly um, black men as uh, criminals you drill that in the head of people who would potentially be law enforcement officers now or just people in general that when you think of a black man think of a criminal yeah. Super predator. Super yes. predator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, I, I agree in almost every sense, mm-hmm. except for uh, the dog whistling part about it. Mm-hmm. When you understand the history of this country, right, the United States as a nation, when you understand that history, um, you begin to see things, you know, you look at them critically and you say, well, wait a minute, somebody's lying. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we I don't know how well accepted it is, but it is documented that policing in this country is based on slave patrols. Yeah. Yeah. They were essentially posses that were put together who would go and hunt down escaped slaves. Yeah. Right. When slavery ended, what do you think happened to those slave patrols? <laughs> they became cops. They became cops. Yeah. They're, That's exactly what they became. Yeah, right. They've always been the foot soldiers of the, you know, the, so the 1%, right? <laughs> it's not so much of a dog whistle as it is an actual culture. Right. Mm-hmm. This you know. is ingrained in many officers. When they take that oath to protect and serve, they're not taking an oath to protect and serve a certain demographic or demographics of people. Mm. They are taking an oath to protect and serve the people who they feel pay their salaries. Right. Yeah. Uh, Like they just do their bidding, right? It's like breaking strikes, like, you know, like cracking skulls mm -hmm. of kind of political dissidents and, you know, criminalizing the hood that's like pretty much what they've done since the beginning that's yeah and and it's all about it's all about who has the economic power right yeah Mm -hmm. um you you look at when the mafia was huge they had they had the cops in their pockets right yeah yeah but the cops also protected and served the people that essentially they were supposed to protect and serve the reason why they were able to work with both of them it's because they were paid by both of them. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely continues now too. Like the, yeah. you know, the protection rackets and all. You know, like they cops get busted all the time for doing that for extorting small businesses. It, you know, it's that culture has not changed much since the slave catching days. And, and the <laughs> other thing that I think is important to go ahead and and recognize too is where you're talking about uh, post slavery. There was an immediate effort to go ahead and uh, criminalize the newly freed slaves yeah. that led to the first prison boom in the country. Mm-hmm. So that that uh, clause in the 13th Amendment that um, exempts, you know, allows slavery in cases of, of uh, punishment for crime was immediately taken advantage of. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And that whole culture that you're talking about was immediately transferred over from legalized slavery in the traditional sense that most people understand it as to its current incarnation uh, that exists within the prison system now. Yeah. Um, So what happened was, okay, they determined that we are actually human, which is is, is a fucked up way to say it. Right. They determined that we are actually human. So you got that extra two bits. <laughs> because we're human, they can't 
just indiscriminately kill us and, and just indiscriminately take our property or what have they just can't do just what they want to do right we do know that america is a country of laws but america is a country of its own laws and america writes its own laws which is which is and this is a little bit of a tangent but this is the reason why rhetoric is so important um this is the reason why that clause in the 13th amendment is so important if we can't retain the black people as slaves then let's criminalize being black right mm -hmm. because based on the rhetoric that we have based on the actual text of the 13th amendment if you're a criminal then you can be a slave so immediately uh immediately following the reconstruction there were uh vagrancy laws were put into effect um and you had a whole bunch of out of work black people because there were no plantations to work right, right? so yeah. those who those who were able to find work didn't have to worry about getting locked up those who weren't able to find work they went to prison yeah and and, and that's when the Lynn leasing program started which is actually the history of uh the louisiana state penitentiary at angola mm -hmm. um the 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 county thought well in in the case of louisiana the, the the parish authorities the sheriffs would lease parish prisoners out to planters to yeah. work their fields yeah. you're talking about private planters yeah they would they would lease parish prisoners they they would lease i'm sorry they would lease parish prisoners to uh to planters to work their fields they kept all of those uh antebellum industries rolling yeah and they re and, and eventually they rebuilt from the devastation of the civil war so, but so what you're what you're saying is that the the prisoners that were newly imprisoned i guess is uh they it was put on their backs to go ahead and rebuild the southern economy after the civil war or broke it down that's exactly what happened there were those who managed to make a little money and stay out of trouble right for the most part they, they were okay but there, there were still others there's another group uh that that isn't talked about much um who became sharecroppers yeah. and that in and of itself is just another form of slavery right i lease the land from you i buy the seeds from you i buy the equipment from you um after the harvest i make whatever sales i'm gonna make chances are i'm selling it to you and i have very little or nothing to show for it you have the lands i use the lands to create the goods and then you take the goods and mark them up i'm yeah, providing all the labor yeah, and you know, you kind of you see that as well when it comes to how corporations and um, private prisons operate uh, currently. And a lot of people will be surprised by what is um, manufactured in this country using slave labor or prison labor. Oh man! Yeah. I think a lot of people might be shocked by that. But when corporations can cut down their costs, they're going to do it you know damn the morality of it and i don't think yeah i think a lot of people would be surprised with them to know what's what's been manufactured by prison labor
it's it's gnarly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 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 here's a personal experience, right? I remember at this one particular prison where I was housed at for about a year, uh, Dixon Correctional Institute in Jackson, Louisiana. They had a contract with they had a dairy contract, right? This particular dairy farm would deliver so much milk to the prison, you know, uh, according to the contract. The name of the dairy was Klein Peter. Mm-hmm. They had uh-huh. commercials on TV, and they they are a pretty big dairy in the Baton Rouge area. Klein Peter is also a very very big name in Louisiana corrections. That's fucked up. There's big names in the corrections industry. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like it, like life couldn't get any more screwed up than that, right? But you know where there's a huge amount of cattle at in Louisiana? Mm. Prisons. <laughs> now I'm not saying I'm not saying that um, the Klein Peter Dairy is a Louisiana prison. I'm not saying that, but. I do wonder where the beef and the milk go. Yeah. And I do wonder where the beef and the milk come from. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, well, just to go and backtrack again to, you know, when you're initially locked up at 14 and uh, you said on your thread that you initially tried to escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I oh, tried wow. to escape. I tried to escape twice. And this was Angola or where was this? No, I was still I was still um, in juvenile detention. Okay. So the for my first my first attempt was uh, in juvenile detention. I uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't even let us have toothbrushes in our cells. So essentially, essentially, you had a big cement block that you sat on all day with no mattress, and at p.m. at night you would get a mattress to bring into your cell. And then at 4.30 in the morning, they would come around and you would have to put your cell, I mean, you'd have to put your mattress back outside of your cell. You would, you know, you had a chance to brush your teeth and then you had to put your toothbrush and toothpaste and deodorant out. Like that place was absolute hell. And I just, I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out. Like my only concern was get out. Right, I got caught mm-hmm. in between. I got caught in an interlock, and I couldn't figure out how to get out of the interlock. Um, the second time I attempted to escape, um, I was at Swanson Correctional Center for Youth, uh, right near Baton Rouge, and um, I had had enough, man. The yeah. correctional officers there used to have fight rings. Now, oh we shit! Were, I think I remember hearing about this story. Now, mind you, we're all kids, and I was one of the youngest guys in the dormitory at the age of fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I think the oldest person in the dormitory was sixteen, maybe seventeen. They they would they would they actually had fight rings, man. Like at a certain time in the day, after school was over, or on the weekends, you know, after lunch, they would do what you call opening the floor so like normally when you hear somebody say the floor is open that means whoever wants to speak can speak right okay but in this instance it's whoever wants to fight can fight Ah. so you would have so you would have two kids who who, who might have beef 
And in this way, they're encouraged to handle their problems with violence. Now, mind you, these are still children. But in this way, they're encouraged to handle their problems with violence. So say there's nobody who has beef or whatever. The officer who's working the dorm might say, wasn't y'all two talking shit to each other the other day? So they'll try to instigate something. No, he's there's no try to instigate something. Y'all are gonna get into the middle of the floor and y'all are gonna (laughs) fight. Oh damn. There's no instigation. You don't have a choice in the matter. I don't know if it's as wild now. Granted, this was back in the nineties. So I don't know what if anything is going on in juvenile institutions in the state right now. But I do keep my ear to the ground with regards to uh, adult institutions because you know I I'm, I'm very close to some people that I've left in there who are never coming home. Well, well you you uh, mentioned in the, in your thread you know what that was under um, when they transferred you over to the adult corrections that was a completely different level even than the way you're describing the juvenile centers. Oh, that was like going from Call of Duty to Battlefield. That was rough. Um, fortunately, by the time. I was transferred to an adult institution at the age of 18. Uh, I had built up a little bit of a reputation as somebody who maybe you shouldn't mess around with. Um, Not like a tough guy, but, you know, somebody who's going to stand his ground and hold his own. So I was I was okay, Right. But after that first week, reality kind of set in. Well, no, because I spent two weeks in a diagnostic center. A diagnostic center? Oh, yeah. Like, they really treat you like a slave. So they shipped me from, they bust me in from a juvenile institution to the adult diagnostic center. And when I got there, they made me take an aptitude test. They made me take uh, an adult literacy test, which by then I already, I, you know, I had my GED and everything. But they still made me take an adult literacy test. They questioned me about any uh, technical skills I had. They gave me a physical, checked my height, my weight, took blood samples, took urine samples. It, it like it was the whole nine. It was a, it felt like I was standing on an auction block and being oh my god by yeah, I was about a, to say a that potential man. purchaser. And so I stayed at the diagnostic center for two weeks until they figured out. Uh, where they could place me, which is how I ended up at DCI. Uh, they were starting a new program there for youthful offenders called uh, the Youthful Offender Program. And um, they wanted me to join that program because at the time, I was still one of the only people in the state of Louisiana. I think at the time, there were maybe four of us who had been tried as an adult. They wanted me to be like the flagship <laughs> in their program and i told them to go fuck themselves hell yeah as would anybody right right well i don't know man you'd be surprised yeah exactly i mean that's i mean what you're i mean what you're uh what you mentioned too is there's a breaking down process so in Mm -hmm. that in that sense there's a, a different level of resistance for everybody i would say at at uh at that age especially that you're talking about but the fact that you've been and, you know, at that point, you were locked in juvenile for in a juvenile facility for four years. You know, yeah, so. I've, al- I've always had problems with authority anyway. Right. So, like, there was nothing 
that they could say or do that would get me to cooperate with anything that I thought might help them. Because like, I'm just, you know, from, from day one, I've always been anti them. Yeah. You know, so it's like, Oh, okay. You got a badge. Fuck you. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And, And that's, that's all there is to it. But I, um, I got there and, uh, decided that, I was not going to participate in their program. Right. And mm-hmm. they made my life a living hell for the next imagine. year. I can only imagine. They sent me out into the fields at the end of my third week in adult prison. I was out in the field. I was out in the okra patch, tearing my hands up, trying to make sure that I got my quota for the day. Yeah, so everybody has a quota of how much you're supposed to bring in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you mentioned in in your thread that um, this image of slavery that people get from movies, mm-hmm. you know, that it's still shocking to see that there are those just direct parallels because that's exactly what you see when they're trying to depict slavery in movies. Everybody was expected to bring in so many barrels of cotton. Everybody's expected to bring in this and this and this. So when it comes to actual slave labor as it exists in prison, that's exactly how it is then. Man, you gonna fill up that sack or you going to the dungeon? Yeah. Oh, shit. Why do our prisons have dungeons? <laughs> Man. <laughs> like, the other thing is it just, it's, our prison system has been in, like, objective failure compared to other, you know, uh, comparable systems they have around the world. You know, other countries actually care about rehabilitating people and whatever that means they go to prison and actually learn how you know interacting with people they do different different stuff that's actually geared towards having them come out better off than they were when they went in here it's they don't even try to hide the fact that it's just punishment you know it's just it's there you know even more than just a punishment while people are incarcerated it seems like a a system that's built to make sure that you come back in so they don't lose any of that labor yeah. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. I was about to say, in response to what you were saying, that there's no money in rehabilitation. Yeah. Well, just like everything. You know, they don't want to cure anything. They don't want to cure any sickness. They don't want to fix any problems. They want to keep exploiting those problems for their own ends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no money in, like, actually having a responsible policing in the city. You know, there's no money no, in there's that. there's no money that. in that. You know, it's just like... When we say defund the police, it's like the discussion is a is not ever an honest discussion of it because there's so much to be made in militarization of the police. There's so much to be made funding the police from all these different you know entities that are selling equipment that are somehow profiting from it. There's not as much money to be made from mental health clinics, public housing, like things right. that would actually improve the quality of life for everybody. You know, it's like. There's, they've they've known this for a hundred years too. This was the whole thing of like Keynesian economics back in the 20th century was improving the quality of life for everybody includes improves the quality of life for the people on top too. It does. <laughs> it's indisputable fact, and that's not something anybody wants to address because they keep exploiting it for their own purposes, for their own business interests, for their political interests, for you know just protecting the hierarchy and the status quo. It's sick. It's just. Like what's even more and, frustrating to me about all these things is that nobody notices it. Oh, it's that it's there and exists, and nobody is 
it's never discussed, right? Like Be- because it it doesn't affect them. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't affect them. Like yeah, once they can, get somebody on the hook, you know, that's them, right? And it's like, you know, they you just move on. You can intellectually understand that uh, your neighbor got their water cut off. But, I mean, you can still go take a shower whenever you want to. You may even be kind enough to offer your neighbor a shower. But you won't understand how your neighbor is feeling having to come over to your place to take a shower. Yeah. It, doesn't di- it, it doesn't directly adversely affect you. Until things start directly adversely affecting the people who are the power matrix, then they're not going to care. A prime example is uh, the situation with uh, the war on drugs. Oh. So we, we, we know what that is, right? Yeah. We, we know the evil that that is. But people yeah. didn't start acknowledging that it was evil until white kids started overdosing on opioids. Yeah, and just to give a little bit of background on this war on drugs thing, um, well, it was something that goes as far back uh, as Nixon, where mm-hmm. there was that, that leak well, that I mean, came out. I mean, it even goes before that, though, too, right? Like, when after Prohibition, right? Like, when they did Prohibition, you know, they, I don't, I don't know how, like if they realized it was a problem or not, but it was, you know, definitely an unpopular thing. And when they were before prohibition, all drugs were legal, right? So when they came back after prohibition, they had all these lobbying interests from Anheuser Busch and Guinness and all these like whiskey companies and beer manufacturers and all who lobbied specifically to get laws written to criminalize marijuana, cocaine, other drugs that were prevalent back then. And it's mm-hmm. the you know, same kind of thing, setting the terms for the drug war. This kind of drug is okay. This kind of drug is not okay. And one of the reasons they did that was because they knew that, you know, Mexicans and, like, Latinos were more prone to smoke weed and, you know, poor white people were more prone to drink. So they criminalized the one and not the other and have been using it ever since. So it was ready when they got the Nixon. It was already racialized. You know, it was already well, yeah, the context for him to fill in. And really that's what they did under Nixon was they went and tried to associate um, – marijuana use with uh, leftists that were anti-war and then heroin mm-hmm. use with the black community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it was largely rhetorical. It was something that was exposing in rhetoric, but it wasn't something that they really put full swing into practice or they didn't start to until Reagan came in. And yeah. then you had Nancy Reagan going out there saying, just say no, just say no. <laughs> oh my God, I remember those commercials. Yeah. And then following... Reagan, then you go into Clinton and the 94 crime bill, which that's where we get a lot of this militarization of the police that we see now in small towns, any small mm-hmm. town. They'll roll mm-hmm. out the SWAT on you, full militarization. Yeah. And along well, with that came with buckets and buckets of, of federal funding to go into these correctional facilities. I saw, I saw a post am... the other day, too, that was like every single small town where they had a protest popping off, every single police force has all the riot gear, all the shields, all the, the truncheons, whatever the hell they're using. In all these small towns across the country, whenever tiny-ass towns in Virginia, Wisconsin, California, all over the place, the cops have millions of dollars worth of just the riot control equipment or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it doesn't mean, like... You don't need that to control a populace that no. doesn't have equivalent, like... Yeah, no. <laughs> you, there's no match. I don't see no riot right? here. Why are you in riot gear? <laughs> like, right. there's, there, there's no match. Um, you're not going to need 
you you don't call in the Ninja Turtles to swat a fly unless that, that fly has been rolled around in ooze itself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it. Folks, um, the flies, the flies, they were covered in ooze, folks. We had to get them with the SWAT team, folks. Yo, that's but, a wild analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the the other thing I really wanted to go into with you was um, because you were talking about the conditions that you were uh, incarcerated in, but not so much the forced labor aspect, because that's what we're that's what the the that loophole in the Thirteenth Amendment is. It's a loophole that allows the state to propitize you and then force you to work. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what exactly goes into a situation if you refuse to work? Okay, so I've had several different occasions to say, fuck it, I'm not working, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The first time I did that was at that prison I was talking about before DCI. Mm-hmm. They cuffed me and shackled me and they put me in a van and uh they drove me to cell block when I got to cell block B, they drug me into the boiler room. Oh, and shit. beat the ever-loving fuck out of me. I've never in my life taken that kind of physical beating. They just now, take no pretense? They just drug you in there? Like, how many guards was it? Four or five. Jeez. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember exactly how many. And you were a kid, man. <laughs> yeah, at that time, I was still, uh, I was still only 18 years old. I don't. I don't remember exactly how many. I know for certain that it was at least four of them. And there was one. And, and there was one standing by the door watching. And I don't yeah. know if if he managed to get a lick or two in or or or, or whatever. But I know that by the time by the time they finished beating me, um, my glasses were broken. One of the officers hit me so hard in the head with his radio that the battery broke off of it. Oh, and it was, man, it was a pretty bad experience. Man, yeah. Bad sounds, experience. Like, I don't say this lightly, but it, it sounds traumatic. You know, like people, like a lot of people say, you know, trauma when it's like, you know, something, you know, I wouldn't categorize as traumatic, right? But that's legitimately it, it puts the those horror stories that you hear about from uh pre-civil war slavery into um direct context because that's not that's not any different well i mean, I mean what's the difference between them coming in and, and beating you until you work and then whipping you well yeah it's it's the same principle like you can't have a slave that you can't have a slave if you can't enforce slavery. Right. And one of the ways that, that, that slavery is enforced is through physical abuse. One thing that every person in this world understands is physical pain. Um, physical pain will get a point across to anyone except for there's like a rare disease. I, 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 don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I just remember there's a rare disease that some people can't experience physical pain but outside of those people everyone in this world understands physical pain and you can get a point across with physical pain and mm-hmm. that's what it was about not yeah. only inflicting physical pain on you but others know what kind of what kind of pain has been inflicted on you and right. they see that and they say okay that can't be me 
That's called buck breaking. Have you ever heard that term? Well, in 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 a slavery context, like man, buck breaking is 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 horrible. It's done. It was done so differently in and in, in so many different ways, all according to the cruelty of the person who was in charge of doing it, right? But I'm sure uh, you've probably maybe heard or read accounts of um, slave masters lining their slaves up outside and watching and, 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 and forcing them to watch a, a man be beat yeah. or, 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 yeah. or raped or have his tongue cut out or, or, or a pregnant woman strung up and drawn and quartered and having the baby cut out of her womb. And, you know, these, these are methods that are, it's, it's psychological warfare. So it's like that, that was for them a form of butt breaking. You know, that, that wasn't them just saying, look, we will fuck you up. That was them actually fucking you up and letting you know, look, there's a lot more where this came from. So they beat the shit out of you, and then were you just like, all right, I'm ready to go back to work? Or did you let, you know, did you stick it out a little while, or what? how'd it go? So when that happened, that was actually my first trip to uh, solitary confinement. Oh, man. So because... tell me, they, after they beat you, then they just threw you up in a solitary, too? Well, no, they left me in a dungeon for, for, for a couple of weeks to heal up. So I had no access to a phone. My mom tried to come and visit me. Mm -hmm. And they turned her around at the gate. Um, oh, and and that's, actually, that's actually happened to me several times where I've had family try it's to just, come and visit. There's and such scumbags that they can't even tell your mom he's unavailable. This is like basic common decency. Like, oh, no, you know, like you got to reschedule well, that. You can't you can't do that because like I'm in prison. What the fuck do you mean? I'm yeah. he's not available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, so, he stepped out for cigarettes. <laughs> right. What do you mean he's not here or 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 whatever? Oh well, he's he, you know, he's in the dungeon or whatever. <laughs> but um so they kept me in the dungeon for 2 weeks and you know, during that period I understood that I basically had two choices. Either I was gonna die at that prison. Now remember I, earlier I told you they made my 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 life a living hell for the next year. Yeah. I figured out that either I was gonna die at that prison, they were gonna kill me, or in the process of me forcing them to do something, they would send me somewhere else. So either I'm gonna force you to kill me, or I'm gonna force you to transfer me. Your choice. They chose to transfer me. I uh, I ended up at Rayburn Correctional Center which is in Angie, Louisiana. Angie, Louisiana has a very, very, to this day, um, has a very, very high concentration of Ku Klux Klan members. And I'm going to guess and say that some of them might be employed at some of these correctional facilities. <laughs> well, you know, it just so happens that at Angie in particular, uh, the prison is uh, the largest employer in the area. That's what they do a lot of these small towns, too. They come in and they promise all these jobs. So that's why the prison industrial complex is so, you know, so easy to spread. Well, there's that part of it. But if like so in Louisiana in particular, all of the state prisons are in small towns that you've never heard of. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why they do that is because, say, in the case of uh, of of RCC, Rayburn Correctional Center, where I spent the majority of my time, I was far enough away from both Baton Rouge and New Orleans that if something happened to me, 
it would take possibly weeks for people on the outside to find out. <laughs> no. Well, they, they, they like radicalize these small towns too. You know, they like get them relying on the prison and then they just eventually start seeing the, you know, seeing the world through the, their eyes, right? One of those effects like the, the hollowing out of the country. We used to have factories and mills and businesses and shit and now we have, you know, rehab centers and prisons and fracking mines and crap like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, toxic yeah. man. In every way. Yeah. So, uh, what was the um, the big differences between these facilities we were talking about with uh, Rayburn? So Rayburn is a lot smaller than Dixon. Mm -hmm. Rayburn, I still went out into the field every day, but like there wasn't a whole lot of agricultural work to do. So most of the days I was out in the field at Rayburn was spent cutting grass or bailing hay or you know chopping wood or was it like they were like making up stuff for you to do or was it yeah, stuff they, that they, they, they they'll make up stuff for you like to do just to work? make you work yeah. yeah it's like the stories you hear where they used to like make you dig a hole and then fill it back in i've actually done that oh oh shit. fuck <laughs> I've actually done that. Um, yeah, that, that's a totally normal thing to do. <laughs> totally reformable, <laughs> you know, institution. <laughs> so let me trip you out. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen, and I've seen it probably a thousand times. The older inmates who couldn't work out in who couldn't work out in the fields anymore, who couldn't do that strenuous labor or whatever, they would take old towels and cut them into strips. And it would line these old men up along the fence. And these old men would have to take these towels, these little strips of towels, maybe six inches long, a half inch wide, and use it to clean the fence. What? Like, oh, shit. That's like the, you know, clean this with the toothbrush. You know, like. <laughs> and um, an outdoor chain link fence. To clean it. And I feel like if people have never been down there, like, they might not understand like that's one of the absolute worst climates in the you know probably the world for you know outdoor strenuous activity right it's just hot and muggy and like rainy like it's you know man the only thing worse than a louisiana winter is a louisiana summer yeah man brutal you know the other thing that um you mentioned in the thread that really stood out to me because you know, you're talking about how long you were you were sentenced and incarcerated and everything, but you also mentioned that you're, if you are incarcerated, you're not guaranteed to come home. No, you're not. You could piss off the wrong CEO mm -hmm. and 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 get disappeared. Man, they they may not. I've like I've I've seen a couple of people be disappeared. They may not even bother to disappear you. They may just beat you to death. I uh I linked. Um, a news story to that thread about yeah, I caught, uh, I caught this. Uh, yeah, um, and at least two of the officers involved in that I know personally. You had interactions with them, yeah, for years. So that's with regard to the officers, right? Mm -hmm. There's also uh, somebody that might decide that it's your day, yeah, fucking psychos. It's like it's. I'm sick of people not understanding the fact that these people that we're protesting are the absolute worst people in the country. Like there's, you know, like, I, like cigarette executives, like, you know, pimps, 
politicians, it's fucking cops and prison guards are, you know, they, the absolute worst. <clears throat> so I had a couple of friends once. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's what I mean by somebody might decide that it's your day. I had, I had a couple of friends once. Um, big, huge black dude, uh, little bitty, tiny white guy. Um, and they were a couple, right? And the officers really hated the fact oh, man, that they were a couple. Mm-hmm. They were an interracial couple <laughs> in prison. And... Right? Now, of course, none of the inmates cared. None of us gave a shit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not our business. If they want to be together, then, then that's fine. They're not bothering us. Right. That's two less people that we have to worry about. Right. You know, so the 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 white guy got in trouble for uh, gambling. I, I want to say it was gambling. And they sent him to the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And the, the black guy was like, no, I need to be wherever y'all send him. That's where I need to be at. Right? Yeah. So he did everything he could. He cursed out an officer. Decided not to go to work. He did everything he could. And he knew that he was trying to go to the dungeon with his significant other. They just, they wouldn't do it. Now, mind you, this guy already had a life sentence. So he's got nothing to lose. So finally, he decided that he was going to go to the dungeon one way or another. And one way that you're certain to go to the dungeon is if you get into a fight. And... He had an argument with somebody probably earlier that day or uh, later in the evening on the prior day. He went and beat the man to death in his sleep. He didn't intentionally kill the dude. He just, you know, he hit him a couple of times and he was in full view of, he waited until the officer was right there to even do anything to him, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he ended up beating the dude to death in his sleep. Now, the guy who who was who who was murdered, uh, just an average Joe guy, right? Um, he was in there. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, he was in there on a drug offense, um, which is problematic in and of itself because it's a nonviolent yeah. crime, and you got this guy sitting in here, and he's supposed to go home one day, but you have him sleeping around other guys who have life sentences. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. not adding up. He just dies for nothing, man. <laughs> and this man lost his life because somebody picked him. Yeah. yeah well, you know, with, since you brought the, the drug offenses and everything, well, there was uh, also the fact that uh, drug offenses are criminalized the way you're saying. I mean, it was it was intentional in order to boost the prison population. Yeah, it was. Yeah. There, there's not yeah. there's not a good justification to go ahead and treat drug offenses as a crime as opposed to a mental health issue or a, or a health issue in general. Well, I mean, especially when we all understand that it it's a health issue. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you got um, a lot of white, more white people that are affected by the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in that respect, you don't see it criminalized the way say crack was in the 80s right yeah no because that was deliberate crack in the 80s with crack in the 80s you have to again you have to look at the the user demographic right yeah right 
Um, you think the CIA <laughs> did that on purpose? Like, um, we we man. go we discuss a lot of conspiracy shit on the show, but like we yeah. one we keep coming back to is if there's something evil, you think the CIA the CIA might have done? Like, there, there's a very strong chance you're right. You know, man, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, I don't put anything past the government of the United States. First and foremost, I do not. Uh, yeah. recognize that- the Constitution as a ruling authority. And everything in this country stems from the Constitution. Right. The entire basis of law in this country stems from the Constitution. The CIA gets its powers from American citizens' right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If the CIA... so. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how to connect the dots here. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, I mean, they're the foot soldiers of the ruling class, right? They're like the, you know, sort of like the mafia of the people who run the country, right? They just kind of do the dirtiest shit for them. You know, like their history all throughout the 20th century, there's no level of depravity that they won't go to if it's, you know, advancing the interest of capital, you know, just even a tiny little bit, you know. They'll, well, yeah. There's no low they won't go to, like you said it best, man. Like they just overthrowing governments, like causing famines, uh, just installing you know fascist strongmen, dictators. Like you just you know you couldn't think of of a, a worse institution in the world. I, I can't. I, I have trouble reconciling this image, but mm-hmm. when I think of a CIA field agent. It reminds me of, you can pick any one of them, a Grand Theft Auto protagonist. I mean, that's giving them too much credit, I feel like. I mean, they're never like, as cool as Grand Theft Auto protagonists. but They're more like Michael Scott from The Office, I, I feel I've like. I've never seen The Office. I, don't um, know. <laughs> uh, I can't even explain it. He's like... Uh, that's an interesting side effect that... Uh, that 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 prison has had on me um i'm not good with pop culture references yeah um don't worry you didn't miss much like (laughs) 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 yeah um well let's see the to go and uh, skip ahead now to when uh you were getting close to release they changed your um what they were having you do right as far as work Mm mm-hmm now, was that just something that happens to anybody that's getting close to being able to get out, or sometimes, mm. sometimes? So in my case, uh, I didn't, I didn't have any good time, right? So I wasn't getting out. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking at getting out early. Okay. So they really couldn't use me in furtherance of whatever rackets they're, they're, they're working out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I ended up doing was uh, working as a librarian in the prison. Another of the things that I, that I ended up doing was working as a tutor in the prison, an adult literacy tutor. Um, those seem and, like those are good jobs. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Comparatively. It's, it's, comparatively, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially, you know, not I mean, having to walk out there in the heat right? and the cold and, you know, 
Yeah. Like you you're not out in the elements. You're indoors. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's definitely a plus. Um but you end up taking a whole lot more shit. Yeah. Yeah. From true. from the guards. Probably the other inmates, right? Like, you no, know. not 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 so much not so much the other inmates. Oh. Uh, mostly from the guards because like they're aware of what you have to lose. Uh, that's a good point. So, so they try to get you to snitch and shit or what? Like, oh yeah, they'll try to get you to snitch. They'll try. They'll try to blackmail you like, into set snitching. this guy up. Like, like get this guy uh, in trouble. I've, I've, I can't recall ever once uh, seeing a CO attempt to set somebody up. And there's really no need to. Yeah, Because, right. like, it's your word against theirs. Yeah. They um, just say whatever they want. Like if, you, like, if you get a write-up, they don't have to have evidence. You're automatically found guilty. And, like, there's a little box on the rule violation report. That when you go to court for it, when you have your hearing for it, that little box is is in a section found guilty for such and such reasons, right? For the following reasons, and right next to that little box, based on the credibility of of the officer. Yeah, we studied that shit in law school. Like the level of uh, review you have to have for you know um, a disciplinary infraction in prison, and it's basically like non-existent. You know, like. Other instances, like if you get fired from a government job, you have to have time to appeal and all this other stuff. And the little bit that they do have for prisoners, just basically wild, they have man. to hear you. You know, that's it. You just you get you have to have a chance to say your side of the story. Is basically it. There's no guarantees beyond that. It's it's wild because so theoretically, if someone goes to prison on a ten year sentence and it's a nonviolent offense, they start out with only having to do five years of the ten. But every time they get a disciplinary infraction, they lose. They they stand to lose good time. Yeah. So ninety days here, one hundred and eighty days there. These oh, are days man. that are added on to the back end of your sentence. Motherfucker. Not, not the ten years you were sentenced to, but the five that you were gonna do because you start out with your good time uh-huh. already okay. applied. Right. So every time you get a write up, every time you get a write up, that represents another possibly another. Uh, at the very least, I think fifteen, and at the most one hundred and eighty days that you're gonna spend for in prison each, for each write-up. Yeah. Well, um, depending <laughs> depending on how they rule on it, when you have your disciplinary hearing. Was there like any accountability for the the um, the COs though? Like, would the judges ever, you know, or anybody above them ever kind of like put them in check? Man, it's so rare. That yeah. It, like it's, did it happen that you remember? I've I've seen it happen a handful of times, not many. If if I sat here long enough, I could probably think of every yeah. time that I've seen it. I'd probably do a better job recalling the times that I've seen it than I would remembering the names of the person, the 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 people that it happened for. Mm-hmm. That's how rare it is. You know, like they'll they'll tack that time in, they'll tack that time onto the end of your sentence, man. Just because you look. At a CEO the wrong way, yeah, or because, or or because you know your your foot touched the yellow line that you weren't supposed to cross, or you know, like mm-hmm. I said in that thread, because you don't have a nine inch collar on your bed, or mm-hmm. because your shoes aren't lined up under your bed the way that they're supposed to during work call, they all they do is just take 
they take they take yeah. they take everything from you it's it's a horrible horrible experience man the the other thing that you mentioned on there was this uh willie lynch syndrome yeah yeah i wasn't really familiar with that yeah i never heard of that okay so, so willie lynch was a uh let's say let's 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 just call him a writer because i don't want to call him anything else mm-hmm. but he uh willie lynch had the theory and i don't know if it was originally his theory but it's attributed to him he had this theory that if you could put the slaves up against one another mm-hmm. they they would be more easily controlled and that contributes i don't i don't want to say definitively if it's the basis of colorism between African Americans right now, damn. But it, but it definitely contributes to it, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if 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 you read back on the history of slavery, you'll notice that a lot of the lighter skinned slaves worked indoors or in the, or in the houses, mm-hmm. or you know, were what you call footmen or or things like that, right? Where the darker skinned slaves were out in the fields and laboring mm-hmm. and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And yeah. the darker skinned slaves felt some type of way because the lighter skinned slaves lived under better conditions. They had more privileges mm-hmm. and they, you know, and so on and so forth. And perhaps the lighter skinned slaves lorded that over the darker skinned slaves, right? So to put it into context for what I was talking about, what happened was once I stopped working in the field and started working as a tutor and as a librarian, things changed a little bit. You know, I had some relationships that changed, like dudes that were my partners, like, man, which you don't violate no more. You know, that's basically a cool for, that's, that's basically a cool for saying you're a good boy now. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, there was some of that. And sometimes they'll choose very, very carefully who they yeah. put into certain positions just to be able to create that. Like, I've seen it happen where they've given an inmate a job specifically to turn him into a snitch. Yeah. It's really? The same shit, too. You know, like the cops will set you up so that it looks like, you know, you're meeting with them or whatever, like that, mm-hmm. do all kinds of shit like that just to get, you know, other people that you're working with suspicious of you, like call your phone up, crap like that. And that's the kind of shit they do. <clears throat> you know, the way the rules are written, they have to do, they basically have to be told specifically they can't do something terrible before they stop doing it. You know, everything has to work its way through court and, you know, it rarely makes it too because you lose your standing as soon as you're done your sentence. What makes it so much worse is that they protect their snitches. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's just, it's always like snitching, you know, like it's material benefit for, you know, psychological, uh, whatever. You know, and it's, um, you know, it's crazy just to think of it from the, like a macro level. So you kind of look at, look at how that works where they can have people that they'll turn into snitches, but then there'll be people that are probably be okay with that. Because it elevates their status and it's better for them. Well, okay, so there's two kinds of snitches. Uh-huh. There's the snitch who comes in, a snitch, unapologetic, doesn't care. Right? Yeah. Um, everybody understands what he is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
very few people associate with him. Those who do associate with him, the ones that are wise that associate with him, they feed him with a long-handled spoon. Mm-hmm. They don't tell him any of their business. He doesn't pick up information. Therefore, mm-hmm. they've neutralized him as a snitch. Yeah. Right. The ones that they turn into snitches, basically by benefit of doubt, um, in other inmates' good graces. Yeah. And yeah. so they have information. People don't stop talking when they come around. Mm-hmm. People don't leave areas when they come around, right? Yeah. So they pick up a tidbit here, pick up a tidbit there, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, they may come back with weak old information, but it's still good because there's cameras all over the prison. Mm-hmm. They can go roll back tape and find out if the snitch was saying something that was true, right? Mm-hmm. Um Except, interestingly enough, when when an inmate gets beaten by COs, there's no there's no camera footage. No. Um, but we know how that works. So yeah, there's you know there's those two kinds of snitches, and the ones that just snitch voluntarily, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about them, right? Because like if 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 you know what they are, you can choose not to deal with them. The yeah. ones that you, it's, it's the ones that you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll put certain people in certain positions where they'll get certain privileges mm-hmm. and they'll use that as a blackmail tool. Yeah. Right? Um, so like a guy who most of the most of the most of the nurses at any given prison are usually female. Mm-hmm. So Guys who like to talk to female employees, guys who like to be around female employees, you know, they'll give one of those guys a hospital job. Mm -hmm. And they'll threaten to take it from him periodically, you know. You got, you know, you got to give me something. You know, I know you're doing such and such over here. You got to give me something. You know, from the description that you give of a lot of the CEOs, I'd wonder if the purpose for snitching is to stop a bad behavior or to take control of it and make it a benefit to yourself it depends on what the behavior is is there like drug shit though right like don't they try to like corner that so drugs don't get in without co's exactly yeah drugs don't get in without co's very rarely an inmate can bring it in but Uh uh-huh like you basically would have to swallow a balloon and dig through your own shit oh and, and and nobody is like nobody's trying to do that. Nobody's that much of a dope feed. So most of the drugs that come into the facility come through COs. I actually interestingly enough, I was actually uh I actually caught a drug charge while I was in prison. From the CO fucking you or So I, I had I I, I wanna say it was it was a tiny amount of weed. I wanna say it was uh 0.3 grams mm-hmm. of weed. Like point three grams. And it's not even me. a joint. Yeah, it's it's not. Well, it it's enough to get somebody in prison high. Yeah, tolerance is so low. Yeah, you know, um, basically the smell of it will get you high. Yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, so they didn't charge me with simple possession of marijuana. First, they tried to charge me with possession with intent to distribute. What? Point three grams? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna let people smell it. <laughs> that's that's what they tried to do initially. 
And uh, I'm guessing the DA was like, look, no, this doesn't, no, nah, we can't do this. So yeah. rather than even charge me with possession at all, they charged me with, uh, what's the name? The, the, uh, introduction of contraband into a penal institution. Oh, man. So, so you introduced it. <laughs> well, the letter of the law is that you don't necessarily have to introduce it mm-hmm. if you possess it. Okay. Right? So, but anyway, that's a... <laughs> But yeah, they you know they they bring it in themselves, and but as soon as an inmate gets busted with it, yeah, then you know all hell breaks loose. Now they will make efforts to try to figure out who it is that's bringing it in, and but like the inmate isn't gonna tell. Well, no. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I doubt the CEO carries much risk in this whole enterprise. The CEO basically, the only time you ever see a CEO get fired is if it's an unavoidable situation like uh, like that murder that, that I linked in that article. Right. Or uh-huh. if they're too nice to the inmates. If they're too nice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if... Um... It's just—it's kind of hard to get my head wrapped around this. So they see a CEO basically treating inmates like human beings. That'll turn them into a target. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, this one lady. I can't remember her name, but you know she would come to work every day with a wonderful home cooked meal, and she would never eat it all. Right. And whatever she had left, she would just give it away to a random person. Mm-hmm. And she lasted maybe 60 days at the prison. Wow. Sure. Never, never actually did anything wrong. No. But they didn't even let her complete her 90-day probationary period as an employee. Wow. Um... I mean, that, and how how often would you run into a CEO that you could say was trying to be a decent person about their job? Uh, man, I can count all of them probably on one hand. Mm-hmm. I can count all of them probably on one hand. Oh, man. And just there was, for everybody there was some mm-hmm. There were some prison employees who weren't COs that were decent people. But they weren't COs. So right. like, they, 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 they kind of... It was just different, you know? Mm-hmm. It was just different. And, and you know, the, the other question I did want to ask you about that, too, when it came to COs... You said you were in the heart of a clan country, but did you ever have any run-ins with um, black seals? With what? Uh, black seals. Yeah. So, so what, what's the difference in those interactions between what you're talking about with, you know, a white seal versus a black seal? They'll slam you down to the street top. Black police showing out for the white cop. So it's yeah. exactly like like we would think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what was the dynamics like, you know, with the, you know, like the other inmates? Was there sort of like a, you know, like on the, is it like on TV where there's sort of like a, you know, like a white guy gang, like, you know, like uh, shit like that? Louisiana is, is, is a little bit different from from other places uh, when it comes to gang activity mm-hmm. in prisons. Uh, gang activity is almost non-existent. Uh, oh, wow. And to be quite honest, there aren't enough white people locked up to have a white guy gang. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but, um, just for a point of reference, uh, black men make up about 4% of the population of the United States, and they make about make up about 40% of the prison population. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Totally I mean, numbers don't, numbers don't lie, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no so, it's hard to lie about that. It's like they talk about America's freedoms with, you know, more people locked up than any other country in the history of the civilization, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally the most carceral nation to ever exist, and but yet America is all about freedom. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, think the stat is somewhere about when see there's 300 million people in the in the world, nine billion about uh, total population, and um, the U.S. has 25 percent of the world's prison population. Jesus Christ! Wow. And uh, just for further point of reference, because you know you you make it a clear point that slavery is alive and well in the United States, and um, Currently, there are more black men in prison in slavery than there were any time pre-Civil War. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not certain, but I I, I do definitely want to take a look and see if uh, the current black incarcerated population is greater than the Louisiana slave population. Most likely, sure I would say. It definitely is. is. Yeah, it, I mean, it, pro- it probably is, but I, I still would, you know, want to mm-hmm. have the numbers. I, I'd, I'd still want to have some confirmation yeah. on it. Uh, yeah. It's, oh, man, it's, it's horrible. Like, So what do we do to, like, have you been doing, like, activism and shit? Since you got um, out, you've been trying to spread the word. Because I feel like most people don't quite understand this, right? Like, they don't like. I, like I was saying about the wildfires, it's like it's not a topic of conversation. You know that. I mean, some people kind of hint at it a little bit. You know, like people like Bernie, I guess, have mentioned it. Mm-hmm. You know, the prison industrial complex, but like and in mm-hmm. cash bail that system. Yeah, I mean, you you can have people locked up for discussed. years on that. Exactly, people getting COVID and dying in prison now too, just because they couldn't afford to get out on bail. Like, man, the, look, they got people right now at Orleans Parish Prison that then spent four and five, four and five years fighting murder charges. Yeah, and you know. <clears throat> A rich person would have been out on bail, you know, conferring with their attorney, doing all that shit, like preparing their case. You yeah. Know, everyone else yeah. just, you know, sitting in a fucking cell. So um, it's it's a it's such a weird it's it's such it, there's such a weird dynamic, right? Like uh-huh. what's going on in California with the fires uh 
these these gentlemen are going out here and fighting fires. And right now, there's not enough of them because of COVID. But these gentlemen right. are going out here and, and fighting fires, and they come home and can't get jobs as firefighters. Because they'll ask that question, right? They'll ask that right. question on yeah. your application. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. You don't hear them talking about it a lot. Like, you don't hear it directly from them a lot, right? And I said that to, to illustrate that I'm just getting to the point now after having been home for uh, going on five years, I'm just getting to the point now where I'm starting to realize, wait a minute, I have a voice. I can speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Most of the time that I've spent out here on the streets has been just me trying to figure out how to survive. Because, like, there's so many things that I don't have any frame of reference for. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I went, to, I went to prison at 14, came home at the age of 31. Um, my parole was pretty much immediately violated. I panicked, went on the run. They locked me back up for 10 more months. And now I'm home again. And, like, in that 10 months that I spent on the run, I didn't... Like I had, I was trapping to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, I didn't know anything about working a job. I didn't know how no. to. Yeah. So I, you know, I've been spending my time just trying to figure out how to survive, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to get my legs up under me. Um, a really good friend of mine who who I was locked up with, he's uh he's out here doing some serious serious activist work. Um, he started uh his name is Kiana Calloway. Um, he started something called the Ban the Box Initiative. And what he's done is uh, in the parish, in, in the Louisiana parish with the, I believe, the second highest incarceration rate, Jefferson Parish, um, they can no longer, I don't know if it's in effect yet, but essentially uh, they can no longer ask about your criminal history on job applications and housing applications. Damn. Because he had such a hard time when he came yeah. home trying to find somewhere to live, trying to mm-hmm. find somewhere to, you know, to, to work. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I can, I'm having an easier time talking about it. Um, uh-huh. And l- let me tell you, the, the, the easier it gets for me to talk about um, and explain details about, the louder I'm going to get. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's definitely an issue that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Just, you know, the conditions as it is, you know, in general, and then in the situations like you're describing where it's, you know, 100% and, you know, analogous to, a, you know, human trafficking, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, they're handing you out, you know. You know, and the the other thing when when um we talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Mm-hmm. And it's an important movement to bring the light, police brutality on the outside, 
when it comes to shooting unarmed black people. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be understood that the prison aspect of this, the system that we've built here over decades, it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same engine. Mm-hmm. It is. And Very much so. You really cannot separate the two. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we have to talk about what, how slavery is still in existence, even currently. Yeah, no, it's the pipeline, think, you know? I think the thing that, that uh, you know, people fail to, and, and not for lack of a want to, but I think the thing that people fail to uh, put into context with regards to Black Lives Matter and the prison abolition movement mm-hmm. um, as, as, as being one movement is that, you know, Black Lives Matter is about taking a life, right? Right. It's about stripping someone of their life. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens mm-hmm. when you send a person to prison. Yes. You, you take away their life. You may take away that you may actually take away their physical life. Right. Because like I said, you're not guaranteed to come home. But yes. the 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 other side of the prison gates nothing but emptiness awaits. Like, you know, it's gonna be hell getting a job. Yeah. It's gonna be hell trying to find somewhere to live. Um it's gonna be hell trying to pay your parole fees. Um I don't know about other places, but in Louisiana, whatever the court costs whatever it costs the court to convict you, you gotta pay that back. Damn. Right? So like I refused to pay it back, so they ended up docking they ended up uh docking my taxes. Oh shit. Jeez. But I didn't I didn't do it voluntarily, so they can they can kiss my ass. <laughs> well, I think we're about yeah, that time to go ahead and wrap up. Um, any uh, parting thoughts? Anything? Where should we find you? Um, man, I'm on Twitter um, at John B. Ill. I'm on Instagram at Johnny B. Ill. Uh, and shameless plug, you can also find my band on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music, The River Dragon. Hell yeah, man. We'll put that shit in the show notes. Um, yeah, man. Um, yeah, man. That's dope. What kind of music is it? Uh, blues rock. Oh, hell yeah. Right. Um, right. I was, that's some I Louisiana was, shit. I was born for the blues, man. I was born <laughs> for the blues. Man. Yeah, man. You're making me think of that, that French Quarter shit. Like, <laughs> um, you get I the, hate the French Quarter. <laughs> One of those blues bands, man. Drinking Hurricanes. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it gets nasty, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, everybody. We do appreciate you joining us, and we want to thank once again our guest, uh, Mr. John Burnett, for joining us and, and uh, sharing all these personal stories. And it can't be easy. Yeah. So we do yeah, it's nothing, cause I'm getting bread, crack is dead, bitches wanna give me head. You 
was a funny nigga, I just saw Kai in the yard. He said, holla, when you get a chance, scribe the guard. Tell Kai, I said, what up? And his sister is grown. I caught the full fifth auto, it's pretty McGrown. The day I come home, I need a make and a brand new Mac. A few jump off, some yarns yeah. and a V in yeah. the black. I'm outside on the streets, just holding it down. I'm in jail, pumping ice, son, and reading books. I'm in the studio, dropping 16s with hooks. I'm in the yard and the cypher, just smoking my sticks. I'm in Queens. Coliseum just copping you kicks. I hit the law library, hope to come home soon. I just finished up the album, finna drop in June. Yeah, yeah, pop. My little dumb gangsters caught him blood beef with the kings. You know Giraffe, bro, but my gun, I used to creep within queens. And that's my gun, too, so I'ma find out now. I have my dogs on the island, just get on the prowl. On the other side of things, I'm trying to get released. Around my bond day, but a nigga keeping beef with the beast. Fuck the police. Cause all of them niggas is fake Don't lose your see y'all Son, you get your open date Son, I'ma see regardless Cause I got two violent felony charges And you know your appeal's in progress You my dog, son And we gon' keep this tight I keep it common, Sammy fat I'ma keep you right I got the chronic stash Then the coffee carton and kicks Good looking for the bitches Butt naked in the flicks And you ain't gotta thank me Real niggas do real things I keep free codes yeah. They really do yeah. ill I'm outside on the streets just holding it down. I'm in jail, pumping iron, son, and reading books. I'm in the studio, dropping 16s with hooks. I'm in the yard in the cypher, just smoking my sticks. I'm in Queens, Coliseum, just copping you kicks. I hit the law library, hope to come home soon. I just finished up the album, finna drop in June. Yeah. Yeah. I used to be ugly, but now these bitches is Medusa. And guess what? I made you executive producer. Some extra G's, so when you come home, you breathe. They won't At one of the shows, spread it out in the crowd. See them niggas get wild. Capone home. Niggas still digging our style. Shit is foul. How these crackers trying to keep me confined? I got a visit last week and saw Gremlin Divine. Me, Timbo, and Ice got bent and rolled dice. Scooped, riding low, then we headed to post. Son, and got son, some hydro left, weed. Son. And we had son, our son, dose. It's only one minute left, son. It's only one yeah. minute left, son. Yeah. Yeah. I'm outside on the streets, just holding it down. I'm in jail, pumping iron, son, and reading books. I'm in the studio, dropping 16s with hooks. I'm in the yard in the cypher, just smoking my sticks. I'm in Queens, Coliseum, just copping you kicks. I hit the law library, hope to come home soon. I just finished up the album, finna drop in June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm outside on the streets, just holding it down. I'm in jail, pumping iron, son, and reading books. I'm in the studio, dropping 16s with hooks. I'm in the yard in the cypher, just smoking my sticks. I'm in Queens. Coliseum just copping you kicks. I hit the law library, hope to come home soon. I just finished up the album, finna drop in June. Yeah.